And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. This is our chance to, this this episode will serve as our lead-in to Monday night's Georgia-Alabama National Championship uh, rematch. And Bruce, you, I can only imagine how much time you spent calling coaches who have faced these teams for an anonymous scouting report. Uh, and, you know, the simplistic thing would be, hey, they played once. Uh, Georgia got blown out, it's going to happen again. But I gather that's not how necessarily how these coaches feel. It isn't. I think one of the things that came up multiple times was, you know what? They, Georgia players, even if it's in the back of their mind, even if they wouldn't say this, knew win or lose, they're playing in the playoff. And that's hard for people to to kind of put out of their minds entirely, right? And so it's not to diminish what Alabama did. I think some other coaches had pointed out, it was like it was an odd way they thought that the way Georgia tried to defend them basically just gave Bryce Young played a tremendous game. But there's also, it was John Mechie was there. John Mechie will not be there for Alabama in this game. But I think we will see a different kind of Georgia come out. It is really hard to beat a team twice. I don't think this is Oregon against Utah. This is a different, these are two different teams in terms of how they're built and how they're playing. And also this team, by the way, just is coming off a, a royal ass kicking of Michigan. So I would expect you will get a different Georgia team. You know, to spin it forward, I've always said I'm not picking against Nick Saban. Well, after spending, you know, the last 96 hours talking to football coaches who played both teams or played each of them. It was a mix of those groups. Uh, it's hard for me to not pick Georgia after this. Just coming away thinking, okay, Will Anderson's going to be the best player on the field, but I think Georgia has most of the the rest of the top players. And the feeling a little bit is that if there's just Georgia should be able to whip the Alabama offensive line. I think people were really surprised that that. Alabama's offensive line held up. Bryce Young was not sacked. I think we will see a lot more pressure on him and on Alabama this time around. Our colleague Andy Staples did a really interesting film breakdown of what happened last time and what might be different this time. And to your point, you know, the most, I guess, unexpected part of that game was it was a week after Auburn sacked Bryce Young seven times and almost held them out of the end zone for the entire regulation. And you're right, Georgia got zero pressure on Bryce Young, and he picked them apart. Um, Andy's assessment was 
that the teams that had success pressuring Alabama this year were the kind of defenses that disguise their blitzes very well and create confusion. So you would think Georgia had watched the tape and would do the same, but no, they did what they had done all season long and were pretty pretty straightforward, rushed three or four, um, didn't really mix it up because everybody they played before that couldn't stop it, but Alabama did. So we would, like you just said, we would assume in this game uh, Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning will adjust. And he had a pretty good example of him doing just that, which was the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. I was there where Baker Mayfield in the first half looked absolutely unstoppable and the second half, not so much. And same thing. They went to more exotic blitzes uh, in the second half and, and relied on their corners to play lockdown defense. Um, their corners by, from what the coaches I talked to, they do not think that this is a great Georgia secondary either though. The, the kind of the recurring theme was this is an insanely talented wave of front seven players they are not that good in the secondary. Um, and so there are, like, neither team, is. this is not the best they've had in the back end. And I think that's something I heard a lot from from almost across the board, the coaches who were like, they're, they both can be very, they're very vulnerable on what, they, on what they have. And to that point, you know, their DBs play, gave up a lot, had a lot of busted coverage. I, you know, some of those, that, that long Jamison Williams touchdown at the beginning of the game was a total blown coverage. And, so on the one hand, you say, okay, that's fixable. You know, they won't mess up their coverage this time. On the other hand, um, Bryce Young and Jamison Williams have been doing this to teams all year, and you're here telling me these coaches say Georgia's corners are a weakness. How much confidence do we have that they can that Jamison Williams is is not going to go off again this time? Well, I think the challenge from everything I've heard is you gotta know where he's at. You gotta you know, there's no John Mechie on the other side this time, right? The next best receiver they have Slade Bolden. It's you know sizable drop off. He's a good player, but you're talking about a guy who had 30 catches as opposed to 90 this year. Um, so it's like okay, we're going to try to disrupt Jamison Williams to get off the line. But the thing that came up a lot was LSU gave, was the one school that really just completely dominated them at the line. And they basically, as it was told to me, zero blitzed the crap out of them. And Alabama ended up with only six yards rushing on the day. Alabama had what felt like 300 yards rushing the other day against Cincinnati. And I think what helped LSU was they did things like... LSU, I think they were expecting to play them in a four-three, which is what they did, and they, which is what they had been doing. They came out in a three-four and just zero blitz. I think the the challenge is these two teams have a lot of familiarity. Now, obviously, LSU and Alabama have a lot of familiarity, but if you do something very different, and they had, they were going to be aggressive because they had what, what did they have to lose? But I think in the case of of Georgia. You have enough speed at the second level where they can. They have a lot of stuff. They can, a lot of toys they can play with, and I'm interested to see what Dan Lanning is able to come up with along with Kirby Smart because, as you said, they did not have a good plan the first time around. It's an interesting chess match um, because, okay, if Andy, no offense to Andy, but if Andy Stavos can diagnose what happened in the first game, uh, Nick Saban already diagnosed it four weeks ago. And is already anticipating because he knows Kirby Smart left, you know, probably knows every blitz Kirby Smart has ever called. 
and is anticipating what they are going to do differently this game, and they're going to adjust themselves. Um, on the other side of it, you know, obviously that was a game where things got away from Georgia in part because of Stetson Bennett and those two interceptions, and and so and and in their three losses the last two years, Stetson Bennett has thrown a combined six interceptions. I think he's only thrown like seven in all of his other games. So this is a recurring theme. And can he avoid that in this game? Obviously, if you're somebody who thinks they're never going to, they can't win a national championship with him as their quarterback. I mean, he couldn't have played much better against Michigan, the number two team in the country at the time. So we know he has it in him. But do we think, I mean, this is, he's now played Alabama twice and it has not gone well either time. Will he be able to kind of stay out of his own head? I wouldn't run him down too much for the game last year. He actually played, a, I thought, a pretty strong first half. And then in the second half, honestly, it became a big shootout. And Mac Jones had better weapons. I mean, Najee Harris was the best running back on the field. And in Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, he had the two best receivers you know, in the game, too. I think that's just a, that's a lot to put on Stetson Bennett at that point. So... And I think those experiences, look, I'm not expecting him to play like Baker Mayfield against Alabama, but he played terrific the other day. And again, this is a different animal he's going up against, but I think he's going to play well. I, I do not think he's going to struggle. I'm not saying he's going to outshine Bryce Young, but I don't think it's, I think it's going to be harder for Bryce Young this time around. So you're picking Georgia, you said, right? That's what it sure sounds like. I mean, every yeah, I you talked yourself into it. Um, I didn't really talk myself into it as much as these coaches have feel like have talked me into it. So I'm blaming them. You are going for this is tough. Uh, I I I have to. I have two competing, you know, instincts here. One is don't pick against Nick Saban. Every time I've instinct. ever done it. It's completely blown up in my face, including the most recent Georgia game. On the other hand, I do think Georgia's the better team, and 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 maybe some people don't believe that, but you know, for all the reasons you just laid out, you know, the fact that Vegas is favoring them is a pretty good sign that they think they're the better team, uh, and it just feels like this is supposed to be their year. I know we've said that before, but it's been 41 years. If ever they were going to win the national title, they're playing, you know, they're playing a, a, a an Alabama team that has gotten a lot better recently, but for many parts of the season was not that great. So, okay, I'll do it. I'm picking Georgia. All right. We're both, we're both going all in on the dogs. There you go. Um, no possible way that will come back to haunt us. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? <laughs> 
Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You uh, also broke something this week that set the internet ablaze that sources both around Michigan and in the NFL say that Jim Harbaugh would be very tempted to go back to the NFL this after this coming season, particularly if it's to the Raiders. And, um, well, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so this started coming up early in the week, and then... Uh, after I started hearing about it at, on the on the Michigan side as well, I got some calls and in, into people from the NFL who had echoed it. And as one of the lines in the story, they think it's very real that his interest is very real. That the timing is ideal in this. So there's a there's a bunch of layers to this. The first part is obviously much has changed in the past year. A year ago, as you well know, Jim Harbaugh just fired Don Brown. I think they were two and four. And he was going to have to take a big pay cut to stay on um, an incentive-laden deal. Well, since then, he reshook up, shook up his staff, hired a much younger staff. It worked out really well. They not only beat their arch rival, they whipped Ohio State in Ann Arbor. And then they went on to blow out Iowa to win their first Big Ten title in almost 20 years. So Jim Harbaugh, the ultimate competitor, had basically slayed the dragon. That was the one thing. Like, he had actually... You know, on the going into last this past year, his record actually was pretty good. He had a bunch of top ten, top ten, top fifteen seasons. It wasn't like it was a disaster. It just he hadn't been able to beat Ohio State, and then he did. Um, nobody's talking that they lost to Michigan State, right? I mean, they beat the Buckeyes and they beat them handily, and then they didn't stub their toe against Iowa. They blew them out. So the timing of him being ready to leave, I think, and is there you know because you talk to enough people who who are pretty close to Jim Harbaugh they'll tell you they always thought he was at some point going to go back to the NFL then there's the Raiders part of this that's where he got his coaching start um, back in 2003 with Al Davis he was spent a couple of years on the staff there as a quarterback coach he's still pretty friendly with Mark Davis the owner that's what I'm told and they have a good quarterback Derek Carr so a lot of times if a you look at an NFL team, it's like, do they have a quarterback or not? Well, this team definitely has one. So there's that. Then there's the Bears element where he also, it's another place he knows, it's the leadership he knows. They have a young quarterback who's not, nowhere near as proven uh, in Justin Fields, but he knows Justin Fields' game, obviously, because he coached against him and saw him get you know lit up by him when he was at Ohio State. So I think there are some very intriguing opportunities there, and we'll see what happens. All right. Playing devil's advocate, if I'm a Michigan fan, mm-hmm. we've been they've been hearing rumors like this almost every year since he's been there. They cooled off once you know they had the bad season last year. But did they hear rumors say, about this two years ago? No, I would say once the program started trending in the wrong direction, that faded. But the first few years when he was having success, it seemed like every year he might go to the NFL. He might go to the NFL, and to the point where they're kind of numb to it. And you know, in many ways. I mean, you know, nobody likes to hear that their coach might leave. Uh, and nobody wants to, I think in most cases, people, you know, like with Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC, that's, an, you know, that's seen as an insult for Oklahoma fans. Why would, you know, why would he go to that program? Uh, same with Brian Kelly. But when it's to the NFL, uh, usually people understand. But in this case, because he's an alum and has professed his love for Michigan 
I think there's a genuine faction who believe we're all making this up and it's just the NFL media stirring up rumors. He would never leave his alma mater. I don't know about the NFL media part because obviously I'm not the NFL media on that. But other thing is, you you know, I glanced at my mentioned at one point. Somebody's like, "Yeah, that's the agent stirring this up." It's like I don't even know who Jim Harbaugh's agent is. Like when Jim Does Harbaugh he have an went, agent? I don't even know when Jim Harbaugh went through the contract situation last year. There wasn't an agent like driving it. There's no like yeah. Jimmy Sexton figure involved in, in Jim Harbaugh's situation. So there's you know, let's put that aside. I mean, well, if he's trying to get more money out of this. Then I would say at the press conference last week saying he would do the job for free was not a good leverage well, tactic. Also, with him, you know, with people saying that he earned, you know, a lot of money and incentives by going to the playoff, winning the Big Ten title, and he's donating, he says, that money to uh, staffers at Michigan who lost their jobs and took pay cuts in the in the wake of the pandemic. So there's that part of it. I think one other element to this is. Jim Harbaugh has never coached anywhere as long as he's been at Michigan. He was at San Diego for three years. He was at Stanford for four years. He was at the 49ers for four years. He's now been at Michigan for seven. That's a long time for any coach. It's certainly a long time for Jim Harbaugh. Remember, when he was at Stanford, he took over what was the worst power conference team in the country. And four years later, they they were top four and they won a BCS Bowl. It was a remarkable job. And obviously that program doesn't resemble what it what it did, you know, doesn't look like now what it did back then. I think what he was able to do this year at Michigan, it looked a lot like it looked very familiar. I don't know. Um, you know, I had somebody ask me this because I've been done a bunch of media and radio uh, and TV shows since this week. And somebody made the case, well, they just got blown out by Georgia. Do you think that's the reality? And he was like, whoa, we can win the Big Ten. But. We're just not recruiting at the level of Georgia and Alabama, and that's what it takes to win a national title, and I'm out. And I was like, I don't really think he looks at it that way. Because, by the way, Ohio State recruits closer to Alabama and Georgia than anybody, and they beat Ohio State pretty handily. It's not to say you're going to beat them that way every year, but I don't think Jim Harbaugh looks at it that way. I don't think Jim Harbaugh looks at things the way, like, um, Ari Wasserman does. You know, it's just he just has a different perspective, I think, than that. And well, let's be honest. None of us know how Jim Harbaugh thinks. He yeah. is the most unpredictable, hardest to read coach in the entire industry because he just doesn't say. I mean, I did notice this season he actually did do a couple very unusual for him, probably a sign of how more relaxed he was this year. Like he did a sit down interview with Pat Forty. Um, he did a pretty extensive thing with ESPN. Like he actually did talk <laughs> a little bit more to the media this year. But it, but he's the last person who would talk about like career aspirations and 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 that sort of thing. So um, I just think, you know, the people you talk to would know better what his mindset and thinking might be. Uh, but but you know, he, he's going to be completely unpredictable up until the end. The other part of it is, you know, you focused on the Raiders, but you also mentioned the Bears, and I also like. I feel like I constantly get asked about Ryan Day to the Bears ever since Justin Fields got there. It's like you've just people just assume that that that's something he would want to go do, and I'm more inclined to believe Harbaugh would go to the NFL than Ryan Day. I could be completely wrong, but Ryan Day has the best job in college football, as far as I'm concerned. And you know, you hear about some coaches who can't stand 
NIL and can't stand the transfer portal and da 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 da. I feel like he's been, you know, embraced it and been at the forefront of it. Yeah, I don't, you know, because because he actually was an NFL assistant coach, and also because he's really ha- like one of the things that's come up a little bit in the last week or two, just from talking to coaches. Um, one of the one of the other challenges of the many that Urban Meyer had was just there's like a disconnect in terms of like how versed he was in the X and O's of what's going on now. And I think Ryan Day is very involved in it. He is his own play caller. He is his own offensive coordinator. And so there's a lot of carryover to that. So I think people could see why he would be an attractive candidate for that. I don't think the timing is going to line up here for him to leave at this point. Also, like he's making staff moves. If you're like, I don't know if you are even considering going to the NFL if you'd be like making hirings and firings. Um, hiring Jim Knowles. You know. Hiring Jim Knowles, you know, like I, I think at the, as of this time, I think it's coming out that he's letting go of his off, longtime offensive line coach there. Um, I think there's a few other moves that have gone on behind the scenes. I just don't, wouldn't think those things would necessarily happen if you were thinking, hey, I'm going to go to the Bears. Now maybe, you know, the job hasn't been open, the job hasn't been offered to him, but like, He's also got a heck of a team coming back next year. You know, I'm starting to do my early top 25 research. and I wouldn't say starting to. I'm knee-deep in it. And this isn't going to be no spoiler, but Ohio State, or shocker, Ohio State will be in the top two because of, you know, you just watched this in the Rose Bowl. You're getting back C.J. Stroud, Jackson, Tra- uh, Travion Henderson, who I somehow gets forgotten sometimes how, how good he was as a freshman. Freshman uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, uh, all those other young receivers, you know, and now, yeah, their defense wasn't that great this year, but you're bringing in a Broyles finalist who just pulled off a, a remarkable turnaround at Oklahoma State. So I would agree. I mean, you know, maybe maybe this is a different conversation a year or two from now, but it doesn't seem like the time he would make the move. Well, the, the connections and everything you mentioned about Harbaugh for the Raiders make sense. His connection to the Bears is he played for them. Would that be enough to to appeal to him we're talking Harbaugh yeah um I don't know I don't know I, I and know, also I, I should just back up isn't that job a lot more likely to be open than the Raiders I think it's more likely I don't know if it's a lot more because I mean you know it, it's if you look at Rich Passaccia has done a really nice job but he's the interim is that the guy they want going forward? Now, look, if the Raiders, uh, there's some TBD on this. If the Raiders beat the Chargers this weekend, they won't make the playoff. If he wins a couple of games in the playoff, and if he gets them to the to the conference title game, he's probably going to be hard to say, "Hey, we're going to fi- you know not keep him." Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's the Raiders. They are very unpredictable, just like you were saying. Okay. Um, speaking of unpredictable. Mm, nah, that segue doesn't work, but we'll keep it in anyway. Caleb Williams, because uh, it wasn't a complete shock that he announced he was entering the portal, at least if you've been following it. Um, but, I mean, I'm just fascinated by the, the by this situation. Obviously, this is, we knew that this sport was going to change profoundly once transfers, all trans, all players can transfer once without sitting out. In fact, I... I Everybody, I feel like people are conflating 
when they talk about you know how college football's turned into free agency, they just say transfer portal, transfer portal. Transfer portal's been around since 2018. It's not like guys didn't transfer before. What's caused the exponential spike is now they can play right away. So Caleb Williams, who had a really good freshman season at Oklahoma, who I believe almost any team in the country would want as their quarterback, is suddenly available to play week one of this coming season. Um, to me, that's about as high profile and as impactful a transfer as you can get. And all eyes are on where he's going to land. Yeah. I mean, you got a guy who has two years of eligibility left before he could leave to go to the NFL. 21 touchdowns, four picks. He can really run. Um, I think a lot of folks just assume this is going to be, and there's been a handful of these situations behind the scenes of he's going to go to the highest bidder NIL-wise. From everything we've heard, both uh, behind the scenes and as well as published, is that Caleb Williams and his advisors, you know, uh, will try to find the most NFL-ready system he could jump into. Now, is that the one he just played in at Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley moved west? I mean, Lincoln Riley has three NFL starting quarterbacks that he's coached. Um, now they're going to have to go into the portal pretty big to stock up because the talent around. USC right now is not very good, especially on that side of the ball. But if you get Caleb Williams, I bet you could suddenly attract a bunch of you would think really good receivers and running backs. You would think. I mean, they just lost Keontae Ingram. It sounds like is going to leave to go to the NFL now. I think he's committed to go to one. Yeah, of the he just got all star. Uh, I think he just confirmed he's playing in an all star game. So, but the offensive line is very suspect, and we'll see what he's going to do. I mean, it's it's interesting because. You know, Jeff Levy just had the, the offense, new offense coordinator in Oklahoma, just had Matt Corral. And obviously, Matt Corral, a lot of people think, is the top quarterback prospect in the draft. But it's that system that maybe he feels, and like I said, his advisors aren't as sold on. Um, so there's some interesting dynamics here. Like, uh, for people, maybe this is a little in the weeds, but Caleb Williams. In high school, there is the Elite 11, then there is the QB Collective Group. And the QB Collective Group is run by uh, Richmond Flowers, who was a former NFL quality control guy and briefly played in the NFL and also as an agent. And, you know, he's connected to a lot of the Shanahan tree guys. And so Caleb Williams was around a lot of. NFL assistants and coaches when he was in high school when he would come out and, and throw at that camp. So I think that, pers- you know, he's got that uh, sounding board he and his dad do. So we'll see where this leads him. It's going to be an interesting, there's some interesting subplots to this. So I think a lot of people already um, don't love the direction the sport's going in with NIL and have. Who are a lot feared- of people, by the way? Uh, people that I hear from on Twitter and in comment sections, and who are typically the people who don't aren't happy about anything. By the way, but true, go ahead, go ahead. that is true. So, ca- so tell me who the careful. a lot of people are here. You know, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting you say that because yes, it is very easy to sometimes get like for instance, okay, put an IL to the side for a second. Back to the national championship game. If you were to judge it solely off comment sections and Twitter. Nobody's going to watch this Georgia-Alabama game because everybody hates it. Everybody hates, you know, I don't want to watch this game again. I don't want to watch two SEC teams, da 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 
I don't know what the number will be, but the number of people who will watch that game when when the Nielsen ratings come out will be astronomically high. It might not be as high as some past games, but it'll be very, very high. And and so yes, I think I don't think most people who tune into the to the national championship game every year or to the Rose Bowl or to whatever even really notice NIL. You know, maybe even don't even realize it's happening. So. We're talking about people who follow it the absolute most closely. And by the way, I'm not just talking about fans. Uh, there was a Notre Dame administrator, uh, like their their university relations person, who uh, got caught up in a bad rumor and tweeted about how NIL is ruining the sport. People that actually work for teams, coaches, sometimes take shots at it. Like you have to admit, there's definitely a sense. You talk to people, you talk to coaches, like like uh, it's just turning into a big bidding war, you know. And Caleb, my reason for bringing it up is that Caleb Williams now becomes the poster for that. The idea that he can basically just name his price now. If that's what he's truly, you know, if it's less about the NFL and getting rid of the NFL, more about just how do I make the most money. Like Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers clearly went into college, you know, with this idea in his head that he's going to try to make the most money possible from his name, image, and likeness. Uh, And I would just respond to that by saying, there are so few players that are that good and that obvious that they're going to be that odd. Like, he could be the number one pick in the draft. If some, whoever, a booster at whatever X school wants to pay $2 million to make sure Caleb Williams plays for their school, you might actually, that might actually turn out to be worthwhile uh, if that's possible. But there aren't a lot of players like that. Let me ask you something because, you know, you mentioned the, like, I'm very excited to watch Georgia-Alabama in this game. I think it's clearly the two best teams. You know, Ohio State has a huge brand, you know, as a viewing power. Um, What I think is is interesting is, now granted, last year's game was a blowout, but I forgot this until we started talking about it. I looked it up. Uh, That game last year with Ohio State and Alabama, again, it was not a close game, but the lowest it was like record low 18 million people right. watched it among I don't think all that's cuz it was Ohio State Alabama you think it's just cuz it was a blowout it was a bad game i think well ratings for the sport were down all season last year it was a not a, it wasn't it didn't feel like a we've talked about this before it didn't feel like a real season ohio state how many games had they played going into that seven six seven games yeah it just didn't feel like a real so people were kind of checked game. out you would rationalize exactly. yeah it's 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 interesting. We could probably do, and I don't know if I would listen to it, but we could probably do a separate podcast on what fans actually would get excited about and what they wouldn't. I know they got excited about Joe Burrow and LSU and how they played, but I don't think, you know, Alabama's been there. And, you know, you can talk all you want about Alabama fatigue and everything like this. And there's plenty of compelling storylines in this game. I think, and, and to that point, I think it is more, I don't, know, I, I don't know how you would measure this. I think it may be less about, Oh, watching these teams play that just played in early December because that happens in every other sport. You know, the Super Bowl could be a rematch. The NCAA tournament championship game could be a re- like that happens in other sports. But um, it's Alabama. People are sick of watching Alabama. Are the interesting they? thing is they, they do watch them during the season. Like yeah. Alabama is a ratings juggernaut. But I don't think some of that might be they want to see if they're going to lose. I think there, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that. So, but no, I'm excited for the game. Um, look, I just like watching the best, the best teams, the best players, and these two teams. Between them, a whole lot of those guys are be playing on Sundays. These are, you know, 
these are the best teams. There's there's no way you could have rigged that bracket or put some other team in where it would have ended up in a different outcome. Like I don't think Michigan was undeserving of playing in a semifinal by any means. Just weren't as good as Georgia. So um well, that leads us to the last topic I wanted to bring up. And we are going to do emails. Send your emails to audiblepod at gmail.com. So I'm going to Indianapolis this weekend, and I have a feeling I'm going to be spending a lot of time, as has often been the case in my career, waiting outside a closed-door meeting for commissioners to emerge. Um, this, we think, is make-or-break weekend for playoff expansion because because the commissioners are planning to meet Saturday then come back and meet again Sunday. And then Monday morning is the annual meeting where the commissioners and the presidents on the board of the CFP meet. And one way or the other, I think, I don't want to jinx it, they're going to come out with some sort of pronouncement afterward about what they're going to do. And I don't think the public's going to like the uh, final result. Yeah, there's already been some foreshadowing of this. Uh, our friend Ross Dellinger had a long story about it uh, this week at SI. And then on Wednesday, John Canzano, who works out of Portland as a radio columnist as well, he had George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, and asked him about the expansion aspect. This is what George Klyovkov said. Candidly, given everything that's been said publicly, Looks like we're stuck at four for a while, end quote. That's pretty strong for a Power 5 commissioner directly involved in the process to go on the record saying yes. a couple of days before this is going to uh, convene. Later in the interview, he said, well, first of all, he was very blunt about, because he wants expansion, he wants expansion soon. And, uh, you know, he said it's a broken system. You know, it's not a real playoff when 3% of your sport plays for the national championship. Um, it's become a self-fulfilling thing where the teams that make the that made the playoff a bunch then get the best players and keep making the playoff, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's coming from their own perspective. He's coming from the perspective of a conference that hasn't made it in five years. So obviously he wants the playoff expanded. Um, but I think you also sense a frustration there where you would think reasonable, you know, I think we've all been thinking like, well, at some point, saner heads will prevail. They'll reach some sort of compromise. And we'll have some sort of expanded playoff. But um, that doesn't seem to be the case. There are basically like three different points of contention. And there's no there's no format that everybody agrees on. Every, every No, actually, I, this is, again, what he said. He said basically every factor of it that you can think of. Like, should it be eight teams or 12 teams? Should it be automatic qualifiers for the top six conferences or should the power five conferences have guaranteed he's like for everything you can think of there's been at least one commissioner who has said publicly i'm not voting for that so somebody has to change their mind and i think we all just kind of thought eventually they would but you know i mean you've got two sec teams playing the national championship again you would think there would be an urgency the by the way the cincinnati alabama with the lowest rated semifinal to date uh there would be some urgency to to change your product, but I think it's looking increasingly like they're going to scrap it for now and start thinking about what it's going to look like in 2026 when there is no contract and you can basically invent it from scratch. And then 
if you come to that, like they agree to a 12 team playoff in 2026, then can you like work backwards and say, Hey, everybody, now that we agreed on this, what do you say we started a couple years early? But um, the, the version of it that was proposed in June and that seemed at the time like it was going to get rubber stamped has just is, is I don't want to declare it dead, but it's uh, on life support right now. But didn't they, you know, back in June, it was early June, um, didn't they, I don't want to say they anointed it, but they were close to like trotting it out, right? Yeah. Well, what happened, well, it was, it was, nobody bungles PR quite like the BCS slash college football playoff. Yeah, they did. But at the end of the day, that was four of the 11, right? It was Sankey. Swarbrick. But then why go down that road to build the public up if you are going to disappoint uh, them? That is a great question. We should call up Ari Fleischer and ask him, why did you, why was your strategy to unveil this? Not like leak it, not, you know, it's not like we unco- secret uncovered it. It was, we're going to hold a press conference. The four people who crafted this are going to get on a press conference and on, and in, go, in great detail, uh, talk to the media about this idea, that this proposal. And, and only after that are we actually going to take it to, like they held that press conference, I remember this, a week before the meeting where they were actually going to present it to their colleagues for the first time. Um, in fact, I remember thinking I had booked my trip to Dallas quite far in advance thinking this meeting was going to be, um, that that meeting would be when they would tell us kind of where things stand. And when they ended up like kind of preempting it, I was like, I don't know if I should still go. It seems like they've already decided. And it turns out, no, four people had decided and still needed to sell the other seven. And as we've said on here many times, it did still seem like that's where I was headed until Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC. And for whatever reason, that became the moment when the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Group of Five said, wait, 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 wait. You just pulled a fast one on us. We need some more time to think about this. I'm sorry. Like, when we talked about how they bumble the ranking show and how that is so such a such a disaster every week right i mean if you're bill hancock the person you hired to pr to do pr at this point they should just say before you come into these meetings you have to wear a ski mask because you are just (laughs) robbing us blind so just wear here wear the ski mask so we can just get through this his name is ari fleischer he was the former white house press secretary he now has a consulting firm that specializes, I think, it specializes in sports. And this is, if not his biggest client, one of his biggest clients. And he is he needs deeply a ski involved. Mask. He needs a ski yeah. mask. Because well, I think he... they should invoice. I think if this thing fails, they should immediately send him an invoice. Like, we want our money back. You screwed this up royally. Um, because, like, you and I follow this stuff closely. I'm sure some of our people listening follow. But most of the public just saw a headline last June that said, CFP looking at 12-team playoff and assume that's what's going to happen. So if they come out the day of the national championship game in which two SEC teams are playing, because remember, about 10 years ago, it was the day after the LSU-Alabama game that they started pivoting toward four teams. and But this time they say, yeah, we are tabling this till 2026. Um, I mean, look, some it's, I don't want to make, make it seem like 100% of college football fans want a bigger playoff. It's definitely not the case, but I would say the majority do. And I would say the people that do are going to be really, really frustrated and exasperated that that they that that they can't just sit in a room and, and come up with what's best for the sport. That everybody's own little agendas end up 
you know, overriding what's best for the sport. But that is, uh, as I've said many, many times, nobody's in charge of college football. This is what happens. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, let's get some emails. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Jay in Indiana. Hey, Stu and Bruce. If Matt Rule ends up unemployed, is there a college where we think the coaching situation is maybe is settled, but maybe it's not settled? Looking at you, Nebraska. Would any Power Fives cut their coach loose in mid-January to replace him with Rule? Well, there's one obvious potential thing here. And, you know, when we talked about when this question came in, it wasn't. But now I feel like it is. You know, if Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan, if you're Michigan, do you sit there and go, ooh, Matt Rule would probably be a good fit. No brainer. He is grew up in state college, you know, went to Penn State. Penn State is probably not going to come open anytime soon with James Franklin's new deal. So I would think that would be interesting for him. What's what what also is there? Let's say so he is ten and twenty two with one game left, no quarterback in sight. They had mortgaged a lot of capital and money on Sam Darnold, and that was a dreadful move. He fired Joe Brady. Um, I don't know if he if he would look at it and say, you know what. I'm going to get ahead of the posse and maybe try to negotiate my way out of here because I only only have one more year left, realistically, if that. Um, that's if Michigan comes open. I don't know. I mean, we t- you know, we've thought a little bit about Nebraska and what that situation's like. I don't know. You know, we've talked so much on this podcast about Nebraska over this year. I don't... If, if money was, you know, the, the you know, $20 million buyout was... A prohibitive factor in November, then it's still a prohibitive factor now. You know, the part that is interesting for me with with Nebraska is, and I, you know, I've had these conversations with our, our Nebraska expert Mitch Sherman on this in the last month. But you know, if they are put down a lot of money towards new facility, and I just have a hard time thinking if they couldn't turn the corner last year. Are they going to really be able to turn the corner this year? You know, and if, as it relates to Matt Rule, if he would look at the Nebraska job, I mean, he chose Baylor in the state it was in, in terms of like it was as down brand wise as could be, given you know they cleaned house after the after the sexual violence scandal there. He chose Baylor over Oregon, and he did a remarkable job there. You know, if Scott Frost can't get it going at Nebraska, 
I mean, I don't think Matt Rule is going to look at any job and go, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't get it going there, right? So. No, just for a quick refresher, Matt Rule went to Temple in 2013, went 2-10 the first year, and by his fourth year, they were 10-3 and three and won the AAC. For those of us old enough to remember when Temple got kicked out of the Big East because they were so uncompetitive, the idea that they would one day go 10-3 and three and win a conference was amazing. Then he goes to Baylor after the Art Bridal scandal, goes 1-11 the first year, 7-6 the second year, 11-3, uh, division title, Sugar Bowl appearance the third year. So I think any college would be interested in him. And, you know, if this happens, if he gets fired next week, you know, we've, we've seen how these schools are just in such a rush to hire somebody because of recruiting uh, in December. There's a bunch of schools that you might you would be like, I mean, nothing against Brent Pry, but if I'm Virginia Tech, man, that would have been nice to know Matt Rule is going to be available, right? I, could, I, I just picked that one randomly. There's a bunch of schools like that that, you know, would – would probably, if he were on the market, have wanted to get him. So that, and and, it, and I bring that up in part because this week was the 15th anniversary of the day Nick Saban came to Alabama and people waiting for him at the airport. And it's just crazy. I don't know if that could happen now, that, that Mal Moore, the AD at the time, just waited him out. Like the Alabama job was open for a month, waited him out, waited for the end of the NFL season to hire him. I don't know if an AD would do that today, but it certainly worked for them. All right, uh, this one's from John Roberts. Hey, guys, not sure what the rules are surrounding college basketball early signing day, but they do sign before the season starts. You've all said that wouldn't work for college football. Why does it work for college basketball but not college football? I think so many coaching firings happen, um, and systems are way different in college football. I don't – I mean – Maybe somebody would say, hey, I wouldn't want to play for Tony Bennett because they would want to play in a more up-tempo system or whatever. I don't I don't follow college basketball closely enough to make that call right now. But I think in football, I think it is way more dependent on that. And a lot of guys, if you commit to it to somewhere and they pull the plug, um, you're getting something very different. And I just think that I just don't think that if it's if it's a binding deal and you couldn't get out of it, um, I, I just don't think that that makes a lot of sense to have it in place. I would definitely still like to find a way to, to, to like, you know, I think there's now a strong push to maybe we should have never done an early signing date with the way it's affected the coaching carousel. I still think the, the idea behind it made sense. There are a lot of guys who know where they want to go to college way before February 4th. Why can't they just get it over with and sign? But, but, that, but then are you going to lock them into it? That's that's the question. So, like, back in the day, the, the original thought was you would do it September 1st, and they get it out of the way before their senior season of high school, and then you don't have to spend months. I mean, before early signing date, you know, coaches would spend December and January going and doing all these home visits of kids who they'd already committed because they had to babysit them in case somebody tried to come in and flip them. Um but to your point, let's say a guy signs with, uh, you know, a guy had signed with Oklahoma on September 1st and then Lincoln Riley leaves and he has no say in the matter. Uh, whoever the next coach is, you're, you know, you've signed a binding letter of intent. Would they be, and if, would they be willing to put in an out? But if they did put in an out, then is there any point in having it in the first place? That's the question. All right, Stu, this, is, this has come up a little bit on some, some shows I've done this week. I've got asked it, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, with Cincinnati and Michigan both 
making maiden voyages to the CFP this year. Uh, the question to me was, who would I think would be the next team that could make its first appearance next year? And I want to see if you land on the same place I landed. Um, I have two thoughts. Like, I think Texas A&M will make the playoff at some point. The problem is Alabama's in their division. Is it going to happen next year? I don't know if I would want to lay a lot of money on that. There is a, another team that maybe is not recruiting anywhere near the level Texas Ooh, A&M Ooh, does the initials KF? Or the head coach? Are you saying Iowa? Yeah, Riley Moss is coming back. Secondary is going to be loaded. Maybe not. No, I was not thinking <laughs> okay. Iowa because I've watched their offense this okay. season. All right, you don't have to bag on yeah. them now. Just no, I mean, look, if you if you believe that, okay. No, no I'm talking case. about a team that – I'm talking about Utah, who by the end of the season was basically a playoff caliber team and is bringing back Cam Rising and – uh, I think Tavian Thomas. I don't know if he's made his NFL decision yet. Britain's leaving finally. Britain's finally leaving. Obviously, Devin Lloyd's leaving for the NFL. Nick Ford, I think, is leaving. Is Nick Ford leaving? But I should know that. More people are coming back than not. And you look at the Pac-12 next year. So Utah opens at Florida. If you were handicapping that game right now, wouldn't you pick Utah? Hmm. Probably. Florida's Probably. In right now. I don't know. I want to see what Billy Napier does with Anthony Richardson. Okay, so well, regardless, sure. if they win that game, then they probably just have to go, you know, they can afford to lose one conference game, kind of like Oregon could this year, but Oregon fell apart. And I just think they're the clear, they're going to be the clear class of the Pac 12 next year. Um, All right, so Sue Mandel, put answer. it on the board. Utah to the playoff. John, you got your headline. <laughs> uh, look. With the transfer portal, you know, good luck handicapping next season right now. Other than Pencil Alabama and Pencil Ohio State and probably Pencil Georgia. And, um, but in terms of that Cincinnati or Michigan team, you know, my answer may change once the dust settles. But that's a team that has never made the playoff before. Don't you think that's a pretty good bet? I like it. It's pretty bold. Um, the one I went but with. But you're was, saying you, you would have more faith in Iowa than Utah. No, that wasn't my pick. Um, I'm interested in Iowa, but the one I would go with was Jimbo Fisher and uh, Texas A&M. We know they beat Alabama this year. What I like, obviously, they have the number one ranked recruiting class coming in. A big part of that, in addition, is Max Johnson coming over from LSU. He was the he beat them the last time out. I think that will be a big addition. Anaya Smith is one of the guys they have coming back. Now, they're going to lose a lot of really good players in the front seven. Um, again, Alabama's there. That is a problem. But I would think if I had to pick one right now, maybe I spent too much time following Billy Lucci Well, look, they beat Alabama. <laughs> but I, I would, they, no. they showed they can they can take down you know the emperor. They did beat them this year. The problem was they couldn't beat Arkansas and Mississippi State and whatnot. Um, there was a lot of whatnot. They lost four games. Yeah, they lost four games. But I would say, you know, whether it's Haynes King, whether it's Max Johnson, there's going to be an upgrade at quarterback next year. By the way, if you didn't appreciate Max Johnson during the season, you probably appreciated him if you watched LSU's bowl game where they had to throw have a receiver play quarterback and it didn't go so well. Um, no, I think if you're going by talent, you know, Texas A&M is that next team up. They're the team knocking on the door. There's no question about that. 
but out of four years, they've had one good year, in my opinion, or one great year. Yeah, it's not your three, yeah yeah. And you don't even have to say you know, in your opinion. It's true. Middle I mean, of the they, pack years. Yeah. So you know you got to be truly bought in on Jimbo to uh, to say that. Josh Fiery, hey guys, love the podcast. What do you think of Brent Venables' hire for defensive coordinator Ted Roof? It seemed like a bit of an odd choice to me. Do you think he was just getting someone who would implement his plan and not try to push his own agenda? Ted Roof has been around forever. He was the defensive coordinator on the Auburn 2010 national title team, but I think of him more as Georgia Tech. Played there, coached there. Um, he was at Vanderbilt last season. Yeah, not that this matters. I wish good things about Ted Roof as a human being. Um, not to say it doesn't matter, but I mean whatever when I think of that. Um, Let me correct, clarify. He was at Vanderbilt in 2020 as a defensive coordinator this past season after that staff got He was fired. an analyst. Yeah. He was an analyst at Clemson, and that's why Brent Venables is bringing him with him. Yeah, I would guess Brent Venables will be pretty, pretty involved in it. Uh, I know some of the guys that he's added to the staff, I feel like they are very much all part of kind of his tree. Um, I, I like the hire in general because I think it's just one of the pieces there. It's a guy he trusts. I think it's another voice for him there. Um, you know, to me, the biggest thing that he was able to do, obviously Levy had success at Ole Miss as the play caller there. I think the biggest thing he was able to do was kill, keep Bill Biedenboe from going to USC and keep him. He was the kind of the brains behind that, that run game at Oklahoma. Um, again, it's not a wow hire for Ted Roof when people go, oh, that's not, that's certainly that Jim Knowles had a great track record this year in the last couple of years, you know, for Ohio State, that is, that becomes a wow hire of a place that needed it. Um, you know, Brent Venables is a defensive guy. I think if it was an offensive guy bringing in Ted Roof, I might feel a little differently, but I think this is more of a support hire and a guy you can lean on. We'll see. I mean, oftentimes... You know, a first-time head coach goes into it thinking, "Yeah, you know, I'm a def- you know, I'm I'm still going to mostly be the defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator for that matter." And then they find out there's so much else you have to do that you know I really need to delegate that. And so, um, if if that ends up being the case, is Ted Roof a high enough caliber defensive coordinator to do it on his own? Um, I don't know. We'll see. It may be that this is like. Maybe it ends up being like a one-year thing. He helps implement Brett Venable's system, and then we'll see what happens from there. But, you know, I don't – I agree with the sentiment of that question, that that's a little bit of an eye-opener when you see um, all these other programs going out and making big big splash hires, and, you know, he brought an analyst with him. So, um, I would say on that, one, one other thing, like – He's had guys that he support. Like Brandon Hall came in. He was just a. Uh, he did a good job as a as a group of five defensive coordinator who he goes back with. I think twenty years, and he came from Troy. And he like I think there are a lot of voices he has that are that are good. I mean, they were one of. The, I think they were the, actually the best defense in the Sun Belt this year. So I'm not saying Brandon Hall is going to be the wizard behind the the curtain, but I I just think there's there's more to it than just hey this is the guy who who's going to be calling it, and this is the guy who's going to be doing everything for it. All right, so looking forward to this weekend. Um, I'm just glad to be back after missing the national championship game last year for the first time in a long time. The last time these teams played in the national championship game, we got second and 26 to uh, 
So the bar is high. We'll see you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.